On this episode of This Week in Linux, we say au revoir to the Linux journal. We'll revisit the idea of using search engines on the command line. For desktop environments, Unity received a long-awaited maintenance update, and KDE issued their future goals for the project. In Linux gaming, we got news for the PSP emulator, the Atari box, and a Linux-powered Game Boy-like portable handheld console. Then we'll check out the latest distro news with updates from Linux Mint for 18.3 and a new Arch-based distro that has a lot of swag. All that and much more coming up. I'm Michael Tunnell with Tux Digital, and this is your weekly source for Linux GNUs. We got some unfortunate news this week. The Linux Journal magazine is going to cease publication. They've been running since, well, actually pretty much from Linux 1.0. So for after 23 years, the Linux Journal has decided that they're going to stop producing um, issues. Their reasoning for it is basically they ran out of money to do it. They've been, for the past few years or so, most of the people who are participating in the Linux Journal have been doing it on a volunteer basis. So it's, the same, it's a situation where a lot of newspapers and magazines are having to transition to the web or just cease publication in order to justify. And the Linux Journal did actually uh, provide like PDFs and stuff as well, but like it's just an issue of they, they don't have enough money and there's too much work involved in creating it and continuing. They also were uh, they also addressed the the idea of like crowdfunding like Kickstarter and they said that they don't think it would be sustainable for a long period of time. So but there is some maybe some silver lining to this is that they are opening it to maybe being purchased by someone, you know, some company that would like to continue it and take over. But it is it is a sad day to see the Linux Journal go. Um they've made a lot of great interesting stuff. Um, a lot of articles that it helped me when I started getting into Linux, it helped me like learn a lot of stuff. So um, I appreciate the work they've done over the years. Um, it, is a, it is a sad day to see it go. Thanks for everything you've done, Linux Journal. But anyway, let's get to more some uh, more cheerier topics. A couple episodes ago, actually episode six, I think, is we, we discussed a command line tool called Googler where you could search Google results on the command line. And that kind of created this uh, response from a lot of the community of like, what about DuckDuckGo? Is there a tool for that kind of thing so you could command line search for DuckDuckGo? And turns out, no, there wasn't. But there is now. Uh, DDGR provides the same functionality that Googler did. In fact, is even made by the same person who made Googler. So you can do DDGR and search search results for anything you want on the command line for DuckDuckGo. What makes this really cool is that the reason I really wanted DDGR is because the bang system in DuckDuckGo. If you've never used DuckDuckGo and you're not really sure about the the benefits of using DuckDuckGo is that there's the bang system and that bang in programming just refers to the exclamation point. So exclamation point something after that is bang that. Um, so, bang w would be searching Wikipedia, but also bang g would search Google. So you could use DDGR to even accomplish the same features that Googler does, all in one. So that's quite cool. 
Um, if you ever you haven't checked out the bang system, just go to duckduckgo.com slash bangs, and you can see a huge list of all the things that they support. LibreOffice is now available on FlatHub with a flat pack. Well, there's been a flat pack available for a while, but now it's available on FlatHub specifically, so you can just install, uh, you can just set up the FlatHub remote and then install LibreOffice directly from FlatHub. So that's that's very cool. The version of LibreOffice in FlatHub is 5.4.2, so pretty new. I don't think it's the latest version, but I... What's uh what's cool about this is that a FlatHub allows uh basically provides a central location for flat packs. Uh, FlatHub is not default in most distros, but it is default in some. So you might want to check to see if you have it or not. Um, probably don't. So go to the FlatHub uh, FlatHub.org website to learn how to install that. Also, LibreOffice 6.0 beta is available for download. It's not a flat hub flat pack, but it is available. Uh, so if you're interested in trying out the beta, which is coming out in January 2018, so the, the full version of 6.0 is coming out in January 2018. But you can try the beta, the beta out right now. Flatpak 0.10.1 was released this week. And with it comes some interesting support, such as uh, now working on stateless systems which allows you to have, like if you're not sure what a state, stateless or a stateful system is, uh, basically what happens is if you, you can have a server, for example, or, uh, or any kind of computer really, but it's mostly used on servers, where a stateful server keeps the, the state between the connection. So you can activate a process, it will continue to be on that process waiting for you to respond to it. Whereas a stateless computer will, once it is done, you've, you activate a request for an input. Once it is completed, it will turn that off and go back to the previous state it was in. So it really has no state because whatever you activate, once that is completed, the state is done. Whereas a stateful is that it remembers the connection and the requests and stuff that while you're doing them. So if like, for example, if you do an open request to us to a process, it will wait until it receives a close request before it ends that. Whereas a stateless will just, as soon as it's done, it's done. Anyway, so it's cool that you can now use Flatpak on stateless because that's uh, allowing you to run um, maybe some Flatpak stuff in the server space. But what's interesting is that Flatpak has always been about only desktop-based uh, support. So it's kind of interesting that they're even doing this at all. So anyway, I'll need to look in that later to see what all this is going to imply. But also in this release, they've added native GTK theme support. And they've already kind of had a little bit of theming for, for the flat packs, but this is going to be more of a, it's going to now automatically install GTK themes for the flat packs that match whatever your current active theme is so that when it launches the Flatpak, it's going to use that particular uh, theme. I don't know how it's going to work if you have multiple themes that you switch back and forth between. Like, Let's say, for example, you install a custom theme, you're using it, you install a Flatpak, then, then it installs the theme for that, then you switch your theme, and then does the Flatpak install the new theme or not, or keep the old one? I'm not sure. I'll need to check that one out, too. But um, 
It's possible that it might, because it is automatically installing the themes, but it might also install multiple themes. That's an interesting uh, aspect. Hmm. Anyway, uh, one of the things I want to talk about, though, is, is that it just seems to be working with GTK themes only and not cute-based stuff, so uh, hopefully they'll add that in a future release. But, you know, this is a pretty cool uh, improvement because um, when you install a Flatpak, uh, a fl uh, sometimes, like, especially previously, they would look like they were in, like, Windows 95 era. And um, it's definitely good to see them improve the UI aspects to it. Mozilla announced their initial release for the open source speech recognition project, uh, two projects actually, Project Deep Speech and Project Common Voice. The first time I used utilized this was in the test pilot add-ons for the voice search that they did for search engines. It's really cool and actually worked quite well. They've announced a more like thorough project approach. The Project Deep Speech is algorithms and computational features that allow you to um, build it into your own applications and features and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, another really cool thing that they're doing is the Project Common Voice, which is they both are connected to each other, obviously. But Common Voice is a data, is the data side of the the, the situation, and Project Common Voice uh, stores is like a collection of speech data. But the data is for people who want to provide it. So, so far, over 20,000 people have participated in this project. And the goal of it is to help systems recognize like various different accents and, accents and dialects. Because then one of the most common issues uh, for all these speech, speech recognition and voice detection things, there's always like someone has a, a, an accent that's hard for the computer to understand. In this way, you can people with those accents can submit various different uh, phrases and things like that so that it can help them it can help the the algorithms learn how to parse those languages and those dialects and accents and stuff that's actually quite awesome so i'm i'm very happy to see this this news joplin i assume it's joplin i'm not really sure it could be joplin i think joplin anyway is an open source evernote alternative it's uh, essentially it's a note-taking app that is in the same kind of vibe as Evernote. What's really cool about it is that it actually supports Evernote files. So if you export from to if you export files from Evernote, it creates these uh, .enex files and you can just import that those files to Joplin so you could transition pretty easily. Uh, it uses markdown format for all of the like the styling and syntax and stuff. It has support for um, desktop app for Linux and a mobile app support for Android and I'm pretty sure iOS as well. Um, the the desktop app for Linux is based on Electron, so if you're not an Electron fan, um, just there's there's that for you. So the only thing I don't like about it is that it doesn't have syncing built in. It has sync features that it can utilize with other, like if it sees that you've synced it on different devices that it can check it, but it doesn't have it built in. So you'd have to use OneDrive or Dropbox or whatever. I would say probably like SyncThing and Folder Sync or SyncCanny and things like that would be useful for people who are not wanting to use one of those services, like I would not. If you're interested in Joplin, then to go to, you can check out the show notes where there's going to be a link to the Janus app, I mean Joplin application. So... Um, check it out. 
Linux Mint 18.3 Sylvia was released this week. It comes with Cinnamon 3.6 and Mate 1.18. It also comes with an updated kernel for Linux 4.10 kernel, which is the updated version from Ubuntu 16.04.3 LTS. There's a few things that are pretty cool with this new release, such as the update to the software manager. They added Flatpak support, so that's nice. They've basically completely revamped their backup tool, and they've separated it so that the backup tool now only uses files from the home folder to eliminate the root permissions aspect. So it's going to store, like, just save files like your documents and notes and stuff like that. They also added a feature that where it's, that's pretty interesting where you have, um, like, it, it keeps a list of installed applications so you can save those and then reinstall them later for, like, a new new install, new in, distro install, stuff like that. That's kind of a cool idea. But the other thing is they're adding that they made this new one called Time Shift, which is basically a system snapshot, which is just pretty much backups of your root system. Uh, they separated it so that the backup tool no longer does just does both of those. They now have that and time shift does the system stuff. They've also added redshift by default, which is a color gamma modifier that allows you to like remove blue colors in your screen during the nighttime so it's easier on your eyes. I've actually recently been using redshift and it's quite it's pretty nice. Also with cinnamon 3.6, they've added support for gnome gnome online accounts and they've revamped utility that is used for cinnamon spices. They've also switched to lib input for the touchpad driver and made some interesting updates to the login manager so that you can customize a lot more stuff. The next thing is that the this version is supported for 32-bit and 64-bit, but the 32-bit version only boots on BIOS systems, not UEFI. So you need to make sure that you have a version, your hardware can support that. Something pretty cool about the latest version as well is that they have this private internet access manager. The private internet access app allows you to pretty easily switch to a proxy for using private internet access for your VPN. What's new about this version and stuff is that it uh, runs in user mode instead of root, so it no longer needs to ask you for your password in order to utilize the private internet access uh, VPN for the system. So that's pretty cool. And if you're not sure what private internet access is, it's basically a VP, a virtual private network so that you can connect to it, and instead of people seeing your IP address, it will see the VPN's IP address that you are connected to in a tunnel structure. I'm going to make some videos about that as well in the future. But for now, uh, this is a nice um, nice approach to make it easy to utilize that. And I would... Um, I think I'm thinking I'm going to try, try to check it out and see if I can use it on other systems because that is an, an interesting approach. If you are interested in checking out private access, you could totally use the URL that uh, lets them know that you heard about it through the Tux Digital channel and This Week in Linux show by going to tuxdigital.com slash PIA or tuxdigital.com slash VPN. Either one works fine. But uh, tuxdigital.com slash PIA. Shameless plugs. Deepin 15.5 was released this week, or Deepin Linux 15.5. It has full high DPI support, and they also added Flatpak support. So as I said, that uh, some distros don't have Flatpak by default. This seems to do that now, as well as Linux Mint. 
Uh, but I'm not sure if it has FlatHub built in by default or not. I'll have to check into that. But uh, they also added some cool features like fingerprint scanning so that you can log into your, your laptop with a fingerprint scanner if your laptop happens to have one. Uh, other distros have that as well, but this it's cool that they added it. They also added two new tools that they created. One's called Deepen Clone, which allows you to clone, backup, and restore entire disk, uh, disk drives or partitions specifically. They also created the Deepen Recovery tool, which allows you to repair your computer's boot partition or format a drive, and, you know, in case of an emergency or something. You can do that. So that's pretty cool. And uh, check out Deepen Linux if you've never heard of it. It's a pretty good-looking distro. They have a little bit of issues every once in a while, but like overall, it's uh, it is pretty. So if you're looking for a distro that's uh, got nice visuals, check out Deepen. Laka 2.1 was released this week. Laka is a retro gaming distro. It allows you to convert a computer into a basically a game console. Uh, their UI is kind of similar to how the PlayStation structure is set. So if you are familiar with that interface, it, uh, it looks feels pretty similar. The Laka distro has uh, LibreELEC so that you can use uh, the entertainment media stuff for LibreELEC combined with RetroArch, which is the the basically the reference implementation of the LibRetro API. So it allows you to utilize different like emulators and engines and stuff to to kind of create your own distro gaming console thing. Uh, it's a really cool approach. Um, they recently switched back to OpenSSL, which is pretty cool because the, they were using some uh, like a fork of that. And thanks to some improvements to the OpenSSL, they've decided to switch back. Uh, but what's cool about it is they 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 keep up to date pretty closely with LibreELEC and RetroArch. So you have uh, most of the time when you get an update, they they are very close to like the latest upstream of those. So LibreELEC is currently 8.2.1, and they are on version 8.2.0, which is very close, especially considering LibreELEC. Um, they they update quite a bit. Um, so like every few weeks or so, like maybe every couple months maybe. Either way, they, they do update a lot. So it is nice to see that the Laka team are keeping up to date with all that. So anyway, if you're interested in trying out a retro gaming console that is open-sourced, Linux-based, check out Laka. Version 17.12 of Swag Arch was released this week. Swag Arch is an Arch-based distro using XFCE and Calamari Installer. Um, it actually looks pretty decent as far as like the way they have the theming set up. Uh, the overall, they have, a, they have a lot of swag with this distro. Uh, just to be clear, I, I I did I haven't really tested this distro. I just found out about it yesterday or the day before, and I thought uh, this had to be added just because I the, the name is fun. <laughs> so Swag Arch. Anyway, if you're interested in an XFCE based distro based on Arch, then um, just the name alone is worth you know you should you should check it out just because uh, it's got a lot of swag. This week we had an announcement from Red Hat where they're going to work with multiple companies uh, to try to work on fixing the licensing issues in the GPL. Fostering greater open source development is the title of this post from Red Hat. Not very descriptive of what that means, but they are working with Google, Facebook, and IBM 
in order to kind of like fix the licensing complications with GPL. For example, um, a quote from an IP, an internet, an intellectual property attorney, Lawrence Rosen, says there is no procedure in the older GPLs that allowed a licensee to correct his mistakes. What that means is that if you, for example, were violating the GPL accidentally, you could possibly, um, unfortunately, just lose the right to use the GPL as a part of your license. So if you accidentally violated it somehow and didn't know it, they could come in and give you like a cease and desist order and force you to just like either pay them, not GPL people, but like someone used something that was GPL based. Like for example, um, a couple weeks ago we talked about how there was an initiative to refocus the Linux kernel was like re changing like the way they approach certain types of the license so that it comp so people that were trying to, use the ambiguousness of the phrasing to as a way to like litigate and take money from companies because they were using their software. So the Linux kernel approached that uh, that topic and this is another approach to the same topic to improve the licensing issues that the GPL users face so that the issues that GPL2 was receiving could be addressed that will that the GPL3 had already addressed. So this is pretty good, and uh, I look forward to seeing what happens with this because you know you don't want to have you know, people taking advantage of the way something is worded. The KDE project has announced this week that their their goals for 2018 and beyond. Essentially, is, these goals are relevant to their in, their intentions and their what they're trying to accomplish in the next three to four years. Uh, they basically have a, a three tier approach at this. So here are those three goals. Uh, they're big hierarchy goals as well, but like uh, the first goal is a uh, top-notch usability and productivity for basic software, privacy software, and streamlined onboarding of new contributors. So the top-notch usability and productivity for the basic software is just to improve their overall offerings of software, which is naturally pretty good to do. Uh, privacy software is that they're going to add some privacy features and stuff through like different settings and things of all the different applications that they have. You know, as that's one of their goals is to improve the overall privacy of all of the software. Not not privacy, but the privacy of the users, not the privacy of the software, because that that sounds weird. But <laughs> uh, the other thing is streamlining the onboarding of new contributors. This is something that a lot of projects have struggled with quite a while. Most projects actually have this struggle where they're they're trying to get new contributors, but they also have like a barrier that makes it harder for some people to become contributors. So they're trying to make that a lot easier for, you know, all different types of levels of contributions such as documentations or translations and actual code and all this other stuff. So that's a very good uh, goal to have. We'll see what happens, and I wish the best of luck to them. Unity DE update is coming to Ubuntu 16.04 LTS. Uh, a lot of people were, were worrying about whether the Unity would continue to get updates or not, uh, patches and things like that, for you know the supported releases like 16.04 16 LTS. Uh, and we have got a confirmation that it's absolutely happening, and it has been happening for a little while, but they haven't pushed a huge update yet. They have now pushed an update that contains uh, 27 bug fixes 
including Compiz, Unity itself, Ubuntu themes, the the Unity Control Center, and many more as well. They are still working on the maintenance side of Unity, so that is very nice to see. Um, I'm I'm curious how much of this work will be implemented into the the project that people are making for the, the Ubuntu Unity flavor. Uh, so this is quite interesting to see, and I'm glad to to see that confirmation that they are totally continu- uh, continuing to maintain Unity for the users of the LTS that are still using Unity. This is going to be a fun name to say. PPSSPP version 1.5.3 was released this week. This is a PSP emulator for Linux and Android and some other less important platforms, whatever. Anyway, what's cool in this is that this version implements full Vulkan support for PSP emulation, as well as it improves um, the software rendering for speed and accuracy and it reduces the CPU consumption of the emulator. So you can play these games in a less resource-intensive situation. So they can be played on like lower-end lower end devices and you know older hardware and stuff like that. So that's quite cool. So anyway, if you ever never heard of a PPSSPP, uh, you might be interested in like checking out some PSP emulation, give it a shot. The uh, links are in the show notes and the video description. Atari announced this week, well, revealed this week, the joystick for their new Atari box, which looks like a cool retro-modern version, which makes no sense, I I get that, but a modern retro... Let's go with modern implementation of a retro joystick. Because it has the feel and vibe of the the old Atari, but at the same time looks very new and modern. So that's pretty cool, and I look forward to this. So I can't wait for the Atari box to come out. A full Linux-based console with, you know, a full, like, branding of it that's actually, like, trying to make a solid approach to, like, a Steam machine. But, like, I don't know how to describe it. Check out one of the earlier episodes that I'll link in the cards about when when I first discussed the Atari box, if you'd like to know more. A report on the NVIDIA dev blog, or forum, I mean, the dev forum, issued a, a, a notice that said that there was some issues with the, the NVIDIA driver since version 375 that was um, creating some bugs and lots of uh, performance loss when playing games on Linux. This week, NVIDIA has confirmed that that bug is there, and there is a bug since the 375 driver uh, update, so there's like a regression bug. So prior to that update, you might not have that problem, but if you update to 375 or newer, then you will probably have an issue with the performance of your NVIDIA driver in Linux. They have said that they aim to fix the problem in version 390 series, so um, that's the next version that's coming out. Uh, they haven't really given it like a time frame when that will come out. But they are aware of it, they have confirmed it, and they will fix it. So, you know, at least that's good. So, there was recently a post from the Crunch developer on Twitter. Uh, Crunch is a high-performance texture compression and transcoding library. It's uh, typically used in games in order to compress the 
textures and stuff like that in uh, in a performance so that you can have um, high res like 4K type visuals in a very compressed and good library so that you can have um, you know high quality games at very low file sizes. Uh, for example, Final Fantasy 15 issued a update that was 170 gigs. Yeah, that's that's the opposite of what this does. <laughs> but in this um, this tweet, uh, Rick says that he gave away, or is it Rich? It's Rich. Sorry. Anyway, says he uh, he gave away the source code for Crunch, and he thinks that was a mistake at, um, after the fact. He says companies take it for granted, and he'll think twice before open sourcing. Uh, his work in the future, and he says to other other people they should think twice about it. Uh, I had this in the the I put this in the the show because I wanted to have a discussion about this topic in the comments or you know in the future or on the live stream today. That um, and he makes some good points that there are problematic aspects to doing it, but there's also a lot of good things that he even admits to in some questions that people ask him. So, for example, he says um, he says the reason he did it is because he was told by his engineers that what he claimed that Crunch could do was impossible and valueless. So he open sourced it to help um, to help people to prove that pe- it could be done, and also that um, it could be used to as by many companies as possible. But he says, like retrospectively, while it did improve his uh, credibility. He thinks that he put he released too much of it and should have just proven that it was possible rather than providing the source code and li- allowing a license so that people could use it. He was then asked, "Why not just use GPL to, you know, make sure that people couldn't use it without your permission and stuff like that?" And he said, "Like the GPL has issues that restrict that, and I agree, there are some aspects to that as well, but." It's just an interesting topic to say that, you know, in certain aspects of open source, it dep- it's more in the sense of, like, it depends on how well you do it. Like, the the approach you take in open source, whether it's beneficial or not. And to be fair, in this case, it's possible that no one have ever heard of Crunch or his new stuff without him doing that. Like, for example, Unity Game Engine uses Crunch in their software. So... Um, had he not done that, that might have been an issue like in the future for his uh, his future endeavors type stuff. So, I don't know. I'm just curious what you think about that. Uh, let me know in the live chat or in the comments below. This week, System76 announced that they're going to be disabling the Intel management engine or the horrible firmware that is in most CPUs, which is a really good thing. Uh, a couple episodes ago, I'm not sure which one, actually. I'll put it in the cards that we uh, discussed uh, Librem, the Librem laptops or Purism is going, well, Purism, the company, is making their Librem laptops disabling the Intel management engine, which is fantastic, and System76 is now also doing it. They're doing it in a different way, though. So in this case, they're doing it without switching to Core Boot. They're just doing a firmware update that allows you to disable the management engine. The interesting thing about this, though, is that it only works on laptops and it's not going to work for desktops. I'm not sure if they're going to try to fix that in the future or not, but either way, it's still a cool thing that they're they're doing. 
So the desktop is going to get updated firmware that will fix the vulnerabilities that were found in the management engine, but it, but it won't allow you to disable it. The laptop uh, firmware will allow you to completely disable it through the System76-driver package, which this is fantastic because it means it doesn't require you to buy new hardware in order to get the fix or get the disabling. You can just install the update, and as long as you have a System76 hardware, it will absolutely disable the management engine. So, that is pretty cool. Up next in the show is uh, Game Shell, a Linux-based retro gaming console. This, when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, yeah, another Kickstarter gaming thing. And I looked more into it, and it looks awesome. So, it's 100% funded already. So, if you go ahead and back it, they've already got the money to make it. What's really interesting about this is that the device itself is modular. So the different components could be replaceable. That's fantastic. So you could upgrade different pieces as you need it to be. So, like, uh, that's really cool. Uh, another thing they're doing is that all the games published for the device will be free and open source. Uh, I'm not really sure how they're going to do that. And, like, um, maybe they're going to limit what all the software can run. But if it runs as emulators, then it could definitely run other games, you know, like Game Boy emulators and stuff. If it could do that, that'd be even cooler, um, but wouldn't apply to... They would probably just not ship emulators. I don't know. They haven't really discussed whether emulation would be possible or not. But if it's based on Linux and it's got enough hardware, it more than likely would be, so who knows. Um, they also allow you to make your own games if you want, and they give you like a, um, a guide as far as like what language is involved. So that's pretty cool, too. Um, there's one thing... The only thing that's weird about this that I think that's actually kind of... That's not sketchy. It's just super odd. Like, you see this is cool. Uh, you can see, like, a, a, a GIF of the, of the of the player playing Doom. The thing that's weird to me is that they have these stretch goals. But you can see the stretch goal is hidden. Like, they don't even tell you what the stretch goal is. So they have met... They've already met two stretch goals without even having people even knowing what they were. So that's... I've never seen that done before. But, you know, this thing looks like it's getting funded based on its merit alone, not the stretch goals. So it is an interesting approach, and I don't think that has anything to do with um, whether people funded it or not. But it does look pretty cool, and uh, I can't wait to try it out because I hope to get one whenever they release it. Because it does look pretty cool. This week, Paragon Software announced their release of the Linux driver for the Apple file system, the APFS. The APFS is the, is the replacement for the very old HFS+. Plus. This particular driver, though, doesn't have support for writing to APFS yet. And this driver is also closed source, so that's unfortunate. But overall, it is necessary for Linux to be able to utilize APFS um, so for people who were switching from Mac to Linux would have a better transition because it would be really awkward if someone switched over and then all their files were inaccessible. So it is definitely something that we, that we need to have in the future. There are some projects that are kind of working on some aspects to making an open source version of this. Um, not this particular thing, but they're making a support for, they're trying to work on support for APFS in Linux. Uh, there's not really a big main project for this, so this is like some scattered pieces here and there. Uh, hopefully, this will give some incentive to some people to 
create such a project because in the future it will be necessary. Uh, currently, High Sierra is the, I think it's the only version of macOS that doesn't have HP, uh, HFS at all. So, but it, you know, it won't, it's not as dire uh, as, as a need yet, but in the future it probably will be. So hopefully this, you know, comes to fruition and we have support in the future. Speaking of Apple, uh, they kind of had a little bit of a mistake in their code. Unfortunately for them, they seem to have screwed up security-wise on a couple of things. In this particular example, they made it so that you could type in the word root with no password and, well, get root permissions automatically. So it's a vulner security vulnerability that is probably the easiest thing to break ever. No password, just the word root. And then you have root access. <laughs> so people have been talking about how Apple's kind of getting sloppy in certain cases. This is definitely an example of that sloppiness. But they did fix it with an update to 10.13.0. They released an update that fixed this problem. Well, 10.13.1 was released, and it broke it again. So the sloppiness is definitely not not solved yet. Hopefully, they will fix it someday and stop doing things like this. This this problem of, of, applies to High Sierra, I think, only. But still, they should fix something like this. Those Mac users out there, I'm not trying to, you know, make fun of you or anything for using Mac. It's just... There's really no excuse for this. There's really no excuse for this. This is such a bad security thing that it kind of makes Windows look better. And that that's a problem. They should they need to fix that. And even though they did, they didn't. They broke it. So anyway, Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on the show, please hit that like button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the channel, we have a Patreon at patreon.com slash tuxdigital, or you can order the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt by going to tuxdigital.com slash Linux is Everywhere. Just a reminder, the show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each week. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell with Tux Digital. And as always, keep using, learning, and enjoying Linux.